Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. What's up, webheads? Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. We're back talking about Spider-Man because we saw No Way Home. I'm sure you all did. We'll, we'll try not to spoil it, but I mean... We're going to spoil it. We might throw in <laughs> a little spoiler. There might be a few dashes of salt and pepper yeah. from No Way Home in this episode, but everyone was... Oh, yeah, we have to because everyone... We expect everyone's seen it by All now. right, warning. We're going to spoil No Way Home. It's been out for two weeks. But, you know, everyone's talking about Andrew Garfield now and how they want Amazing Spider-Man 3 after seeing his performance with the other two Spider-Men on screen together and how amazing he is. And now everyone, like, forgets how great he was. And, you know, I miss him. And I, we watch these two movies just because if we're, we're going to have to cover them at some point. We might as well do it right now when everybody's so hot for it and talking about it. I think when I watched No Way Home, he really stood out as the most personable, um, great, best actor of the film. Um, and I feel like he stole every scene he was in when you have all three Peters together. And I, Toby and Tom are really fantastic. But for me... Andrew Garfield really, I think, stole the scenes he was in for sure. Yeah, it's too bad because he's a great Peter Parker. He's a great Spider-Man. They did a lot of great things with these movies. But, you know, the second one just kind of left it flat and they went a little downhill. And I, I like the first film a lot. So the first one, The Amazing Spider-Man, is on IMDb at 6.9. Ron Tomato score of 72% critic and then 74% audience. Then Amazing Spider-Man 2 is an IMDb of 6.6. Ron Tomato's 52%, which is pretty bad. And then for critical and then 64% for audience score. And so I think they Ooh, both 64 audience. That's not good. It's, it's yeah. that's pretty good. That's it's fresh. I mean, not for what that's not what they want for. Like, yeah, I mean, when you compare it's barely it, fresh compared to No Way Home, which is what 99 yeah, percent barely fresh in Spider-Man 2. So I like the thing is, I, I like them a lot, but they're not even top five. Probably when you talk about all the Spider-Man movies, maybe maybe one of them is in there. Well, I go. My list is Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, No Way Home um, into the Spider-Verse. And then, then um, maybe Amazing Spider-Man One, but also like Spider-Man Three has a lot of great elements. The to first it. forty minutes of yeah. Spider-Man Three that could have been the best Spider-Man movie yeah, of them all. You know, really, if they did it right, it's got a really great first act. And ultimately, I think that Andrew Garfield was a really fantastic choice for Peter Parker. And we had been fans of his for a while. Obviously, everyone found out who he was from the Social Network. He really stood out in that movie and killed his scenes as Eduardo Saverin. He didn't get nominated for an Oscar, but I think he should have gotten supporting actor nominations because Jesse got nominated. But he really stole his scenes in that movie. He's He worked so well as that character. But we had been watching him in a couple of independent British films before then, uh, most no notably his breakout performance in a movie called Boy A, which is a, a small British indie drama coming of age about a kid who's dealing with like um, horrible, tra horrible tra traumatic trauma. Past. Really, really excellent performance by Andrew Garfield. I saw that and I was like, "This guy is awesome!" Like, he won a backer for for yeah, yeah, kids TV or like Break TV, up, rising TV star. Movie. No, it was like TV movie performance. And also, like, he won like the Rising Star BAFTA as uh -huh. well. So he is, is super talented. And I think for Peter Parker, he I I understand that I even criticize like Peter Parker is like too cool in this universe to be like a loser with no friends. I, I love the idea of making him like this cool kid who skateboards and like is really artsy and is just very charming and funny. But they should have given him like maybe a friend or two like Ned in No Way Home because having him this interesting and cool of a person and have no friends at school, for me, that really was a problem with the Peter Parker approach in these films. Like, why not just give him like a best friend or 
and it doesn't have to be Harry. It could be someone like created like Ned. There are people like that in high schools. You know, I was watching. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I actually don't hate this concept that he's like doing kickflips on a skateboard. No, I love that like... he's cool. It's just weird that he doesn't have any friends. There are people like that in high school that don't have any friends that are like yes. overachievers in one, like they're artistic or they're super smart or they're just like me. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the no friends. Or part. just like the rebel, you know, that no friends. But you know, yeah. he's he's a loner. You know, I think he did a great job as Peter Parker, and and they were both very successful. The first one, The Amazing Spider-Man, grossed seventy seven hundred fifty seven million dollars worldwide. The Amazing Spider-Man two then topped out at 708 million which i guess you could say is is a miss because i'm sure they were expecting to get close to a billion with that yeah and you don't want the second film to make less money especially coming off the toby movies which all made about a billion dollars they're all around a billion yeah but i think the problem is you know sam raimi set the bar so goddamn high with spider-man one spider-man two like how do you even like top that or come close to it there's so much pressure on it for sony and there's just peter then to, um, i mean uh and Andrew Garfield is new Peter Parker, just to Mark Webb. Yeah, yeah, Mark Webb, who was coming off 500 Days of Summer at the time. He so was, he, he was also a big time music video director. Yeah, so I yeah. think he was a great choice for the franchise for sure for those two first two films. But like the MCU when they did Tom Holland Spider Man, they didn't really have that amount of pressure because they had so many heroes already. And when Spidey comes in in Civil War, there's already like 10 superheroes on screen, yeah. so it's like not that that like daunting of a task I would say to reboot Spider Man. Well, the thing with, with Marvel is the tone had already been established and the style had already been established for like 10 movies so when like you said when peter came in he's just a supporting player and they already had their formula whereas mark webb i think is a talented director he made some really great music videos like a bunch of my chemical romances videos he he made and anthony's um, emo phase oh yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) um a bunch of green day videos so he was he's a very talented director and 500 days of summer was a really fantastic rom-com i really like that i don't even call that rom-com oh no what do you call it comedy or drama there's a romance to it, but it's not. It's not like a rom com. Okay, I guess you're right. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy's obsessed. With I have a poster of that movie. I love yeah, it. It's a great movie. <clears throat> but Mark Webb, I think the challenge that, I think the challenge that Sony had was trying to do something different from what Sam Raimi did. Obviously, like you said, because he set the bar so high. But also, I think the tone of Raimi's Spider Man movies was just like tonally really perfect. So they obviously wanted to go, let's go edgier, let's go a little bit more youthful pop culture-wise, let's make it feel like, you know, he's not, like a, a kid that young people can really relate to and, like, enjoy being, like, like I would love to be friends with that kid, you know what I mean? How come you were pointing at me when you said that, but you didn't say you want to be friends with me? I would love to, but you're it's like not going to I'd love to be friends with that kid, but you're not talking it's about me. Not, it's just not going to happen, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And um, they went edgier. You know, the costume was a little more streamlined. It felt like punky-ish. Uh, the gold eyes and just the costume. Big eyes. Yeah, the big eyes. Well, the big eyes in the second one. The first eyes I didn't like. The mm-hmm. gold, the slim eyes. Because they were like the sunglasses that he just like fabri- yeah. he put inside fabricated in. Exactly. And they made it more fun. I think that Garfield is super funny. Peter Parker is very funny. But also Spider-Man, you know, he's wisecracking. He's, he feels like a New Yorker. like a, The accent. Yeah, exactly. And he, he references like Dustin Hoffman in... I'm swinging here. I'm swinging here. Yeah. But also the way he interacts with the cops and the bad guys, he's just very, like when he's on in costume, he's so confident, mm-hmm. and he's just like messing around half the time. And that's that fun aspect of the Spider-Man character is something we didn't see in Toby. So they definitely mixed things up and did a different approach. 
and it had benefits and it had cons. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast, where you get awesome perks like our podcast schedules, personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show for top tier and Godfather tier patrons, as well as weekly bonus episodes that only you have access to. And yes, you heard Godfather tier, right? That's a new tier that gets another bonus episode, as well as like free stickers and stuff like that. We also just launched our podcast masterclass online course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of how we got our show going and found the success we have achieved. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or just go on our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com and the link in the is right there on the homepage for the podcast masterclass. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening. Thanks so much for tuning in around the world. And let's get back into the amazing Spider-Man franchise. And so I love the tone that they set in Sam Raimi's like you're talking about. But I still like the tone that they set in The Amazing Spider-Man. Like the first movie, it's a really good origin story. Like they hit all the same beats, but in different ways. I would say that like Ben's death was done better in the first one in yeah. Sam Raimi's trilogy. The, the one in this one, it's kind of like who would go after a guy who drops a gun? Like I know yeah. he wants to protect people around him, but like he he wasn't like waving the gun around or anything. Like, it just yeah. like fell out of his pocket. It was so, very weird for Ben to, to grab for the gun. So Ben's death yeah. felt a little forced to me, but I mean it's part of the origin story. We have to get to it, but. What what I really like about the Amazing Spider-Man franchise, specifically the first one, is the mystery behind Peter's parents' death and where they are. And Richard Parker, specifically his research, his, his, research, his connections to Oscorp, and then the connections to the radio, radioactive spiders that he's working on. I agree. I like the I like that introduction of that mysterious background and why it and and they really explain like Peter's the only person that could ever survive this venom and live from it and get the superpower. So I like that aspect of it. I like how his past and his and why his parents abandoned him, why he was left with his aunt and uncle. I like why all of that was explained. However, I will say in the second film, it, it wasn't necessary again because in the second movie, so both movies open with um, uh, flashbacks, of, flashbacks his father. of his father. In the second movie, it's like a 10-minute scene on that plane and stuff, maybe even longer. And the whole time I watched this, this opening, I'm like, I want to see Spider-Man. Yeah. It's, you got to start a Spider-Man movie when he's already established, you get started with the Spider-Man scene. Or just like a couple minute flashback, but yeah. like I, the way the second one opens up, like this 50, 10, 15 minute sequence, like on it a might be private, 15 minutes. On a private yeah. plane, like they turn Richard Parker into like kind of a superhero sort of in his own yeah. way, like on the run. Like first of all, like I have I have issues with the script of the second one because it's it seems like it was rushed. Um, they didn't have Steve Cloves who worked on the first script. Who, he touched the first one. So up, he's yeah. the guy who who adapts J.K. Rowling's books, Harry Potter books, to to the Harry Potter franchise, except for Goblet of Fires. That's the only one he didn't do. Order. So, or is it Order that yeah. he didn't do? Okay, yeah. so Order of the Phoenix he didn't do. So I think the issue with this movie is the script was rushed. There's a lot of plot holes, and I think like the opening of like the concept of like Richard Parker's on the run with his wife. They're on this private jet. You're So you're being chased by this multi-billion dollar corporation that has power and resources around the entire world. You hop on a private jet? Like that's very inconspicuous. That's not inconspicuous You, you don't all. think your, your ID is going to get flagged or anything? Your passport's going to come up at all? Maybe get on like a, a bus. <laughs> get on a Peter Pan bus and just go to like Missouri. Like that is the worst place. I thought this guy was a genius. Like, oh, we'll hop on a private jet, the most conspicuous way to travel. Yeah, it's, it's blue ridiculous like obviously they're gonna find you guys and then like the the fight on the plane and everything i get it and then the uploading the uh, information to roosevelt which i mean was 2014 there i don't think wi-fi was that good on plates to be no way not back then and then like the underground subway like how many years did that take to build yeah so when when peter goes to the subway and he thinks it's going to be like a, a wall on the door a, a door on the wall 
like something simple, but then he he turns around and when he puts the coin in the meter, and then this the entire friggin' train station just transforms and the the train rises up. I'm like, did did his dad build this is all this, by himself? Is this Ninja Turtles? Like Jesus Christ! So like, there's like things like that yeah. that kind of like they just forced into the script, which for me didn't fully make sense. And whenever I watched them, I'm like, oh come on, this doesn't feel like a great like superhero movie sometimes. Yeah. And like little plot holes, like when Felicia happens to overhear the board members talking about the most secretive piece of research in the, the entire company to tell Harry that there's still venom in the building somewhere. It's like that's just like, like a plot hole. It's like little things that like, oh, how do we explain this? Just have Felicia overhear it. They're just gonna be talking at the, at Starbucks about the most important <laughs> thing. That could lead to the downfall of the entire corporation out loud. Like, at least put it in an email. <laughs> so, like, little things like that. I'm not, I don't want to nitpick and destroy the whole movie. Because well, no, I, we all know that these aren't perfect movies. But I still enjoy yeah. it. And um, I I think the, the I think I like the villains in these two movies, except for maybe Harry, I think, could have done, done been done better. But I like Lizard in the first one. I think Kirk, Curtis Connors is a fantastic villain in the first one. And then I like Electro for the most part in the second one. So, for, for the lizard, I think it worked out really well because they wanted to do something different and something unexpected. And the lizard, I think, was a good choice for the first film. And, you know, the CGI looks fantastic. These battle scenes are really epic, you know. And Peter's actually getting hurt by the lizard. I really think they they hit it out of the park with this villain. Although I will say I'm not a fan of his ultimate plan by the end of turning the whole city into lizards. And they make fun of it in No Way Home. Yeah. He's like, he wanted to turn the whole city into lizards. And he still <laughs> wants to do it. <laughs> and he's like... I. I think that if the scope stayed a little bit smaller for the first film, it would have been better. Like maybe something like Lizard wants to kill like a bunch of people when they're all trapped in a building and Spider-Man has to stop them. Like something like that. I think the stakes of making the entire city in jeopardy was a little it didn't really suit that character's plan. Well, I think it's just the venom changed him yeah. so much in the yeah. serum. So like he turned into a lizard man. So he's like, I want to make everybody a lizard man. Y'all gonna experience this. It's so cool. It's we're pretty, so strong and fast. It's it's like peer pressure, but like forced. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, in terms of him being a villain and the connection with Kurt. Connors and Richard Parker that we find out later on. I really like that stuff in, in the connections between Peter and Oscorp that we find out teased in the first one, but in the second film. And Oscorp obviously is a main player. I also like that Gwen Stacy is the main romantic interest in this film versus MJ doesn't appear at all. And I know Shailene Woodley shot scenes for these films for the first film to be MJ, but they got scratched in inevitably and she didn't even make the cut. But I like Gwen. I think Emma Stone is amazing this in these movies. Obviously, I think we all were disappointed by her death in the second film that might have been that might have been what caused the doom for the the critically the critical response of the second film of Gwen Stacy's death. I agree. I don't think they needed to kill her because and also when people saw on the internet and we were not familiar with the comics but when people saw her outfit in the press release photos they were like oh she's going to die. And then I I I like looked on every news website. Yes, Gwen Stacy dies in the comic books and she's wearing this exact same outfit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, so she's going to die in this movie. So I knew it was going to happen basically walking into the film. And also you go through through Ben's tragedy in the first film. We don't need another major death in the second film. It would kind of suck the, the fun out of the movie for sure. I think uh, Marvel's Spider-Man movies, they know, like, no one major dies. so you know, Except for Tony after 17 movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Aunt May, but it's the final movie for, like, mm -hmm. Aunt May. That's okay. But the second movie, you know, you get a, you, I don't think you should have a major tragedy, especially because Gwen was a really great character. Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield have so much on-screen chemistry, obviously, because they had real-life relationship. But Gwen, I think, was is the best love interest for Peter that we've seen on screen because... She's always heavily involved in the plot. She's always helping um, Spider-Man. Um, she's vital to him succeeding in every one of the movies. And I think the romance between um, Gwen and Peter in these movies is by far 
the best romance of all the Spider-Man movies. Not even close. Yeah, it's so authentic because yeah. it's like real love on camera that they capture. Like them flirting in the hallway, like Peter asking her out, but they're both so nervous and like yeah. like spinning and twitching and like they can't even talk. They can't even. He's like, you want to maybe, or we could we could do this instead, or either or, one, or either, either one, one, either one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, sure, either one. Yeah, let's do it. It's, it's very cute and endearing, and I get all blushy when I watch it. Yeah, and the thing with Toby and Kirsten, it was always they didn't have like the spark. It seemed it, like it a seemed classical like, romance, like yeah. a classical like film from like the '60s, yeah. like that kind of romance. Yeah. Where it, just, it didn't seem real sometimes, yeah. I guess you could say. In the third film, they didn't feel like they were a couple. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In the second one, it was great because the, she finally discovers he's Pe he's Spider Man, he's Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> You're Peter Parker. Well, the second film. <laughs> yes, that's what I said. Oh, did you say third? I thought no, you I said. said third. But the third. Honestly, not even listening to you. <laughs> but the third one, when they're a couple, I know they're on the rocks, but they never felt like a couple. You know what I mean? It just didn't feel right. Whereas. And then Zendaya and Tom Holland, obviously they don't they're not um they don't have an intimacy intimate relationship in the first one and then they 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 reveal their feelings in the second one kind of in the same trajectory of the original trilogy. And then the third one is definitely a lot better. They feel like a couple for sure, but I still feel like it didn't feel romantic like the Garfield Stone really feels like these two are super in love. I think No Way Home really solved that, I think, yeah. with MJ and Peter with Tom Holland's and Day. I think they really improved on that a lot, especially with giving MJ, like, a lot more to do with the plot and helping out, especially Ned, the three of them, like, working together to round everybody up in yeah. No Way Home. So I think they resolved that a lot. But I think, yeah, Gwen Stacy, I think, is my favorite love interest we've seen on film for Peter Parker in general. She's an answer to the MJ problem. In the yeah, first yeah, you could probably say that for yeah. sure. And so that's why I was so disappointed to see her, to see her get killed at the end of the film, which I understand, like, you want to have your hero go through loss but I mean he's gone through so much loss already and he's you could say Ben's his big loss but you know and what his parents I, yeah. I love the way they addressed it though in No Way Home you know when when um he saves MJ yeah. falling down and you know he's crying and, and seems to be more shook than MJ who just fell like a hundred stories yeah. and she's like are you okay he's like yeah I'm okay yeah. so I think that was like a nice redeeming quality which I think the MCU did a terrific job but something I really like about the first film is his identity gets revealed a lot compared to like the first two films. Yeah. Um, I mean, compared to Toby and Tom. So Gwen finds out his identity in the first one. Uh, her father, the captain, finds out his identity. Curtis Con Connors obviously does. Harry finds out in the second film. But I don't like how Aunt May never really does. You, maybe you could say that she kind of knows secretly, but we never get a reveal of that. It should have because in the end of the first one, he comes home after like the disaster in New York City is saved by Spider-Man. He, he's just a mess, all bloodied and bruised. And yeah. He's like, it was a rough night. And it seems like she understands that he's Spider-Man, but in the second one, she doesn't seem to understand at all. They kind of just like passed it, swept it under the rug. Like obviously, like obviously he's Spider-Man. Like yeah. it's pretty pretty in your face. But I like the way, I like how the identity is revealed pretty quickly, although I think the reveal in Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man identity yeah, reveal of all time. When, when, yeah. when MJ finds out that Peter is Spider-Man when he saves her, when when he uh, catches the wall that's going to come fall on top of her. I think that's the best reveal ever. Although I like Gwen Stacy, the way he reveals with the with the webbing to pull her closer to yeah. him. They haven't even, like, kissed yet. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> She's like, you didn't even have to say that. I was going to kiss you at some point. He's like, oh, damn. He's, he's going to be using that move for every girl. Yeah, yeah. He's on His Tinder profile is, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> if you like Spider-Man, you'll like me. <laughs> wink, wink. And, but I think every time I see the Spider-Man 2 reveal, it does give me goosebumps. Like, when Kirsten Dunst sees Toby's face and she's like and I always I get goosebumps thinking about it I yeah. think it's an excellent reveal I, they, they saved it for yeah. so long and then the, the amazing one is very cute it's romantic and but and then I think that the Tom Holland Zendaya one 
it's funny, but I think playing it for a joke for me didn't really work out. She's like, you're Spider-Man. Yeah, obviously, I figured that out. I think it, the more emotional is the better yeah, I think it's it was, a big part of the character. Yeah, I think it was a little underwhelming for the for the uh, Far From Home was that one. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for me, I mean, it's cute. It was funny, but it was a little too light for something so impactful as discovering that he's Spider-Man. Like the Ned one is really funny when he walks into his, when he comes into his room and Ned's waiting for him and he drops the Star Wars Lego set. Yeah. Like that's funny, but it's just because it's Ned. You know and what I mean? And when Aunt May finds out at the end yeah. of Spider-Man Homecoming yeah. that he's Spider-Man. Like yeah, it, Homecoming, right? Yeah, yeah. The first one. Yeah. That one's super funny and that works played for a laugh, but when someone when it's someone that you love, I felt like it was it should have been a little bit more deeper than that. Yeah. But also the music in these movies are, are really great. James Horn did the first one, terrific job, but then Hans, our boy, Hans Zimmer did the second one. Oh yeah. It's this guy, how does he do it? He's done superhero <laughs> themes for what, four heroes now? So he's done Batman, well, five. He's done Batman twice. He's done Superman, he's done Wonder Woman, he's done Spider-Man. Like, what guy, What can't the guy do now? Well, technically, he didn't do the Batman theme in Batman vs. Superman. It was Junkie XL. Well, they worked together on yeah, that Yeah, they film. worked together, but he had Junkie um, Tom Hulkenberg. He was like, you do Batman, I'm going to keep doing Superman. That's how they split it. Okay, gotcha. Well, still, you know, he's still worked on the project. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still well, pretty, yeah, he worked on the project. It's yeah. pretty crazy, just yeah. to think about, you know, he's done so much, not in terms of just... Movies, but the superhero genre, what he's done to it musically. Yeah. And I, I really like James Horner's score. I think he had a really cool theme and some really great, like, it's nice to see him use electronic sounds. He doesn't do that often. Um, but I do love Hans's score in the second one. It's super inspiring. And then also, I think the electro theme is really fantastic. It's, oh, it's so epic. fun. He, he, like, and he, he brought Pharrell and like four other amazing musicians together to make the music for that and it's so cool yeah it's really incredible yeah. you know he played around with it and i love the way he did because like he, he always interprets like the character into his themes like it sounds like sometimes there's like it sounds like spiders are crawling it's the same thing he did with batman begins when you it sounds like wings are flapping like the opening yeah. of that movie and stuff like like vespertillo he creates sounds it's like, <sighs> but he did that with like spiders for yeah. the for this one yeah and i really i like electro <clears throat> i just don't like the appearance and I think Max is like so cartoonish in the when before he becomes Electro. Um, I think it's a little like takes you out of it. Feels a little too comic booky, tongue and cheeky. And I ultimately didn't love the blue design of Electro because you got Jamie Fox. Just let him be Jamie Fox. Obviously, it worked best in No Way Home. Yeah, just let him be him. He's a very handsome guy. Very handsome, so personable. But he's super. He's great as Max. He's very charming. He's very funny. But I think that the the fights, the action scenes of Electro are really strong in this film. The Times Square one is a lot of fun. I think it was really surprising seeing the power that he has. And then like when he when he and Harry go to Oscorp and he just kills that guy no problem and he when he has his full power, he's a really great villain, I think. I think they were probably trying to come off Watchmen with the design and everything. I think they were going with for like a Dr. Manhattan, yeah, Manhattan look sort yeah. of and the sort of the powers in a way, you know. The blue design, I don't hate it, I, but I I love the No Way Home design so much more. Yeah. I wanted the yellow lightning, and I like we said we can see Jamie Foxx because even when he's Max before he's Electro, before he gets his powers, <laughs> and he's got the comb over and everything. He's still Jamie Foxx. Like yeah. it's still like look at the jawline, still a handsome <laughs> guy. So like it's hard to imagine like someone that that like perfect in a way to be so dorky. It's sort of like like Ryan Gosling. I think it was good. They did a good job with Lars and the Real Girl to make him seem unattractive in yeah. a way. But I think with with Electro, they it was too comical in a way. Like the comb over was funny, but but it's 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 funny. It's tongue in cheek. Like when he is saved by Spider Man the first time, and then he becomes obsessed with Spider Man. He thinks they're best friends, and and Spider Man's like, "Hey man, I need you. What's your name, Max? You're my eyes and ears out here." He's like, "Lick this hand." So he licks his hand and fixes his comb over. It's, yeah. it's really funny. Yeah. But it's still like I think he's just a little too dorky. And I, maybe it would have worked better if he was more of like a arrogant, confident kind of. Uh, 
technological mogul or something like that, which yeah. they did with like Venom. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think the yeah, I agree. The approach to the initial stage of the character, what like it could have been better if he was already someone who had power beforehand, and then he just became even even greater power made him turn even more dark as a person. But I do crack up the whole time when he's like in his yeah. apartment. He's, he's very his funny. birthday. He's it like, reminds me of Edward Nigma in yeah, kind of yeah, Batman and Robin. Him and Spider Man are best friends in his in his mind, and they have conversations. And he looks in the mirror, and it's kind of like the King, King of Comedy, comedy. Yeah. with, with uh, Rupert Grint. I yeah. mean Rupert um, Pumpkin. Pumpkin. So I, I I get that vibe from him for sure. Yeah, and but I think that the fight scenes are really great between him and Electro. And but I will say. I wish that, and it's odd because what's great is he he eliminates the web shooters in the first fight, and that takes away one of Peter's greatest strengths as Spider-Man. And Peter, using his ingenuity and intellect and engineering skills, he has to figure out a way of making his web shooters to be able to defend against the lightning and the electricity that um, Electro presents when he fights. So I, I love that aspect to Peter, again, using his skills as a very intelligent person to fix his suit and and try and take on this antagonist. But I will say, when Spider-Man keeps getting electrocuted over and over again, uh, it, there's a there's one line of like a person in New York off screen who's like, I think that he was wearing a rubber suit. I think it would have been better if like, he was really affected greatly physically by the lightning in the first fight. And so he had to make a new suit made out of like some kind of rubber material to be able to, def to deflect the electricity it's not bad, yeah. when he met him again. That's something I wanted to see as well because he's getting like electrocuted like crazy. It's just another little like plot hole yeah. nugget that they throw into yeah. like tape it up with Elmer's glue. Yeah, exactly. And I know he's he's superhuman, but still like that's a, lot of, that's a lot of electricity. And they don't really explain why the suit's not getting damaged, why he's not really getting damaged physically from the lightning. Because the first battle, we don't know that. Exactly, yeah. Now, if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have these awesome laptops, courtesy of LG, the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The great thing about them is their 16 by 10 aspect ratio versus 16 by 9 which means more vertical space. Awesome for watching The Amazing Spider-Man on, and especially, you know, binging any superhero movie you want in your bedroom before you go to bed. We all like to watch movies on our laptops. You gotta get the LG Grams because these screens are phenomenal, incredible graphics, not to mention they are shockingly light. So we'll put links to our, to the LG Gram 16 inch and 17 inch models in the YouTube bio version of this episode. So thank you so much to LG for the LG Gram lap laptops and for sponsoring the show for 2021. I think this is our last episode for 2021, anyways. This is it, also. yeah. And, um, you know, you know, 2022 is right around the corner. So now is the time to finally get your act together, fellas. Get yourself groomed for the new year, new you. So I recommend getting the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer from Manscaped.com using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. We'll make sure you keep it affordable this year as well when you start grooming up. So again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout. 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped.com. They're also launching a bunch of new products for the new year. I can't wait to talk about them. It's gonna They're going to basically cover like everything that guys need in their day-to-day -day life for not just grooming, but, you know, all around body care, all sorts of stuff. We've been using their two-in-one shampoo conditioner, which is new. Their body wash is new, but also just get their performance package 4.0 because not only do you get the lawnmower 4.0, but you get awesome little bundle of gifts, including their weed whacker, some deodorizers. I recommend getting their boxer briefs, super comfortable. The t-shirts are super comfortable. You know, over 2 million men worldwide are using products from Manscaped, including Anthony and I. And since you're a friend of the show, and use our coupon code Raiders of Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. You know, I know a lot of people might have missed the gift giving season. Maybe you didn't get the perfect gift for your, the man in your life. You can fix that by going to manscaped.com and getting them something from there. How about we move into our intermission? Let's do it, pal. We'll begin with our movie quote competition. This one's for me. 
Let's go. Yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks out, the pirates don't eat the tourists. That's uh, Dr. E. Michael, um, Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Nice. Yeah. I tried to do a little Goldblum impression. <laughs> yeah, but John, if the pirates John break breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> I love that guy. All right, here's my quote. If you want the ultimate, you've got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. It's a good one. If you want the ultimate, you've got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. That sounds so familiar, but I can't think of it. Bodie in Point Break. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I am an, an FBI, FBI agent. I can't describe, describe what I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so hard? <laughs> All right. Guess this movie release here. Crazy, stupid love. <clears throat> I'm going to go 2014. 2011. Damn it. That was in the back. It's a lot head. older than you think. That was the yeah. first one that I think Emma and Gosling worked on together, right? Correct. That and, and then the Gangster, Gangster Squad. Squad. And then Okay. The Devil's Advocate. Oh, I like this movie a lot. Pacino, Keanu. Um, I'm going to say it's a... I feel like this is a 90s movie. I feel like... No, maybe... Maybe early 2000s. I'm going to go 1997. Yeah. Nice. That's correct. Got it. That is correct. Nailed it. All right. Movie pop quiz time. What was Emma Stone's first film? Emma Stone's first film, just in general, not leading movie, movie role, movie. <sighs> oh man, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go super bad. Correct though. Really, that's her first movie. First movie. She did. Uh, wow. She was in four TV shows, couple TV movies. Yeah, yeah. Like two two TV shows, couple TV movies. But I mean, like a first movie movie, super bad. That's not bad at all. That's a great first movie. Okay, here's my pop quiz. Who played Keanu Reeves' wife in The Devil Advocate? Oh, um, what's her name? I can picture her perfectly in my head. Ah, oh, crap. Same. Isn't is it the same actress in Heat? No. Ashley Judd. Yeah. I don't know. Is it? Yes. No. No. It's Charlie's. <laughs> Char she just has blonde oh, curly man. hair. Charlie's. You're Theron. right. It's Charlie's Theron. Yeah, it's one of her first oh, roles. Oh man, I totally forgot. Yeah. I don't know why I was picturing picturing Ashley Judd. Because they have blonde curly hair. It's the same exact yeah. hairstyle. Yeah, you're right. Well, Charlie's hair is a little tighter curls, and then but it's the same Ash like at the shoulder length. length yeah. You know? Yeah. But they do look similar yeah. when they, with blonde curly hair. Yeah. They look alike. I think it was the makeup too. They stumped you. <laughs> you did stump me. That was a good one. All right, who we got for haters of this week? We got any real ones? Well, first we have. Well, actually, yes. Do haters first. Okay, I got got a couple real ones. So I posted the Hans Gruber clip um, talking about how it was Alan Rickman's first movie was Die Hard, playing Hans Gruber. And then Julian Restrepo did not like the clip and wrote, Dude's just reading facts and call it a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> On TikTok. Yeah. But then one of our fans <laughs> responded, It's uh, it's your boy Taylor. It's, it's your boy Tyler wrote, Our biggest hater of the week goes to... And then I just wrote, they don't even know it yet. <laughs> and then that guy responded to our fan and wrote, good for you, man. I bet you go far with that generic podcast. <laughs> I mean, we both just quit our jobs play. Yeah, we work with IMAX and LG yeah, and stuff. It's, going, it's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good couple of months. Things are looking pretty good. Hope you have fun working at Cumberland Farms, play. <laughs> Cumberland Farms. All right. Now we have a few unsubscribes. 
This is good. I, <laughs> I love how people try to like take it, like tear us down. Yeah. But it's like we're, we're doing okay. Yeah, you're helping our Paying algorithm, the bills. bro. Paying the bills. So I posted a Joe Pesci clip about him, how uh, Goodfellas and Home Alone both came out in 1990, but I purposely wrote 1890 in the in the clip to to trigger people. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> Did it make it go viral? Yeah, it got got like a ton of comments because of it. And then, but a lot of people were were joking about it, but some people were like triggered. But um, we got a bunch of funny comments, so. Um, our fan Shell Loves Nady wrote 1890 unsubscribed. <laughs> Joe Pesci wasn't even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone wrote he, 1890. He was way ahead of the curve. And then someone else wrote Joe Pesci created cinema with the Lumiere brothers. <laughs> 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 and Mr. Javio wrote this confirms the multiverse unsubscribed. <laughs> That's a good reference, Lumiere Bros. Yeah, I like anyone doesn't know that they uh, made one of the first yeah. features. Trip to the moon. And then that post you wrote of that terrible hater on Instagram who, like, gave us a bad review. Oh, yeah, yeah, Travis Yocum 33 wrote, uh, to be honest, at this point, if your voice doesn't crack in a new video, I'm unsubscribed. <laughs> There's a ton of great comments in <laughs> that. <laughs> it's so funny. And then we have two fan questions for today. All right, so <clears throat> not Dawson 01 wrote, which movie characters would you recruit for a Reservoir Dog-style heist? Oh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. You know, so, I feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt would be a good role for uh, if you're if you're recasting the movie. If if you're doing a Reservoir Dogs type heist, who would you use for movie characters? Not actors, but movie characters. Oh, movie characters for a heist. Yeah, but like no superheroes, right? Yeah, no superheroes. That would be unfair if you're hmm. just doing a heist. I would say, hmm, let's do John McClane. We gotta get Harvey Keitel in there somehow. Yeah, but he's already in Reservoir Dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. but he's so, been so, all right. John McClane. Because he's like a sweet talker, smooth talker. He'll help with like business end. Then we need, you know, we need Kurt Russell somehow. No, at movies, act the characters. I know. I know. I'm just thinking of like a, a Kurt Russell character, bro. Right, like who? He's an actor. He's in a lot of roles. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> death proof Kurt Russell. <laughs> Stuntman, Stuntman, Stuntman Mike. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Stuntman Mike. Yeah. Uh, Trav. Uh, Patrick Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of serial killers, I guess. <laughs> we get, get uh, Commando Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Commando. Commando then, uh, <laughs> we need uh, Gosling and Drive. We need Driver. Yeah, we need oh, someone yeah cool. Driver, yeah. We need someone cool. Driver. Drive. Yeah, and then, and then Place Beyond the Pines, Gosling. Put your hands in the air! Put your hands in the air! Get the money in the bag! <laughs> and then uh, Ethan Hunt. For the plan, <laughs> this is no. The thing is, this this would work. That's the problem. It, it would totally it'd work. Be a successful, it would be a successful heist. And then uh, the Joker from Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> this is the the worst plan ever. <laughs> okay, Fav um, Palmer twenty two asks, "What's your favorite video game? Favorite video game of all time? All time? It's tough. I mean, we grew up playing Super Mario Bros on NES, so like that was that's just like got a special place in my heart forever. But I mean. I, I really enjoyed playing Halo when it came out. Halo was like sick. Nine, Call of like Duty. Call of Duty back in the day. I like a, uh, Assassin's Creed's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I like yeah. Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed. Pokemon Yellow on Game Boy was the, the, <laughs> the jam, yeah. dude. That was the, that was the oh, best. Yeah. Pokemon. It's tough to choose, man. I liked Mass Effect a lot. Mm -hmm. And then the last video game I played was Batman Arkham Asylum. That was like six years, five years ago I played that. But I haven't played a video game since then. Mm -hmm. Plus, we played a lot. So, of so what would you pick? I don't know. Um, maybe... Pokemon. I'm. I think I'm doing Game Boy Pokemon. Yeah. Too. <laughs> it's just too gross. It was great. It's too addicting. Yeah. Like when we were 11 years old, that was like my life. Yeah, y'all don't understand. It was crazy addicting. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. bad. All right, then our 
Godfather tier shout out for today is Gabriel Townsend, a fan of the show for a long time, a good friend of ours. He just joined our Godfather tier on Patreon, and we love his support. He actually got to pick the first episode we did for the Godfather tier, and he picked ranking Scorsese's films. So we just we just posted that last week. That was a fun one. So thank you so much for the support, Gabriel. We love you. You're the best. All right. Um, good with your with your stuff. Yeah. Supporter of the week of this episode is a great five star review from your dad, which I doubt it's our dad because dad doesn't even know what a podcast is. I think he, I don't even think he makes, he knows we make money off no, this. He's like, so. what do they do? They talk about movies. Oh, send me, send me, send me, a, the tape. Send me a tape of that. <laughs> All right. Greatest podcast. Found this podcast on TikTok and I'm glad I did. They're knowledgeable. Knowledge of movies is incredible, and I don't mean movie facts and behind-the-scenes info, but guessing movie years and movies based off quotes to near perfection. Listening to this made me realize how much I, how much movies I haven't watched, so I enjoy episodes on stuff I've watched. I haven't watched it, then I'll listen anyways, and they'll make me want to watch it, or I'll be... It'll be good background noise while working or driving. Great job, guys. Also, unsubscribe <laughs> is the best, but 100% love this. Thanks, pal. <laughs> On this day in film history, today is December 30th. It's a very slow day in film history. Like, nothing happened. No movies get released today. None worth talking about. But uh, happy birthday to our brother Jamie, Tyrese Gibson, and Eliza Dushku. What's up, bud? Sorry you didn't make the Fast and Furious cut. <laughs> and our streaming recommendation for me, I just watched Predestination for the first time, and it's on Amazon Prime. I rented it, and it was really, really cool. Yeah. I and liked it a lot. They just added Serpico on Amazon Prime, so you should check that out. Get this to the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who your friends are, Serpigo. <laughs> All right, back to Spider-Man. I think one of the best parts of this Spider-Man franchise is I think it has the best. Um, well, actually, you don't. They don't do it in Tom Holland's, but the best reveal of Spider-Man's powers, like the the entire sequence where he just he's discovering that he's like super strong mm-hmm. and sticky. This is super fun. Like it's we, super. Yeah, he's it's breaking really funny. the faucets, the doorknobs, the toothpaste. Yeah, it's it's very fun. He's like sitting in his bed, like what's going on? Yeah, yeah. He's like looking around, seeing exactly. things. It's it's really great, and I like the con- the sequence of him getting bit by the spider. The fire, the spider's falling all over him. He's like, oh my god, this is disgusting. Yeah. like we would all Terrifying. react like that. Yeah. And that one spider bites him. It's pretty gross. It's gnarly when he pulls the the strand out and he pulls the spider. He's like, that's not a normal spider. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Into the Spider-Verse. It was like more funny than it was freaky mm-hmm. and dramatic. And I think my favorite part about, I think, what they did with, with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker is showing his intelligence. You know, they did it with Tom Holland's as well, but... Toby's intelligence in the first one is never really revealed. Like, you only find out as... 3.2 electron volts. Yeah. It's class. That's but that's, it. that's in Spider-Man 2, yeah. right? But in Spider-Man, the, in Spider-Man 1, the only time his intelligence is shown is at graduation. He's like... Wins like he's like with the chess club and he takes yeah. photos with them. So like, and, and we, we he, find, he understood Norman's book. You yeah, know, and you understood that. It's impressive. Yeah. So like, we don't. I'm something we don't learn much about myself. his intelligence. Like he makes the suit and everything. But in Amazing Spider-Man, you know, Peter develops his own webbing, and right away we show he we show he's a great engineer. He has that lock that he made that can lock his door with the remote control and everything like that. So he's like an engineering whiz and a science whiz. So I really love how they expanded on that and actually just focused on that. And I, so also the approach to him being a photographer because the other two franchises don't do a great job. Like, yes, Peter Parker becomes a a photographer by Spider-Man 2, but it kind of just comes out of nowhere. He's like, Norman's like, what are you thinking of doing with yourself? He's like, 
think I'm gonna be a photographer. I disagree. He's, he takes photos for the yearbook and stuff. Oh Remember, my god! When he gets bit by this, right. have you seen Spider Man? Right. Oh it's like I'm the main idiot. part of his character. I'm an idiot. You're right. Peter Parker. He's, he's, well, he's just taking photos of MJ. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's run that back. Anthony said that Peter Parker never took a photo in the amazing in the first Spider Man movie. What? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Never. I actually haven't. Got you. But okay, you gotta get fight. You fight. <laughs> But uh, T- taking uh, calls for anyone who wants to be on the podcast. He actually probably takes more photos than Andrew Garfield does. Yeah, because <laughs> Garfield's just photoshopping. It's like his main character. <laughs> it's like what he—it's t- not engineering or anything. It's photography. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, that was always missing from Tom Holland's, and now he'll be—he'll be a photographer, I think, in the next trilogy of his films. Mm-hmm. But I always thought it was—I always was thought that was missing from Tom Holland's. Of he doesn't take photos of anything ever, really. And even though, like, he. He's going to be a photographer when he becomes an adult. Still, it would have been cool to see him with a camera every once in a while. Yeah, have that high school photographer phase. Yeah, exactly. That, that artsy phase. <laughs> every person who gets a Canon Rebel. <laughs> I'm, I'm an artist now. <laughs> Don't worry, I've been there. <laughs> I'm making fun of myself, too. But um, I actually want to talk about what happened to The Amazing Spider-Man 3 and why it didn't get made. So in June 2013, The Hollywood Reporter published a report announcing that The Amazing Spider-Man 3 and a fourth movie in the franchise would open in theaters on June 10th, 2016th, and then May 4th, 2018, respectively. And remember, so Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out in 2014, so this is before the release of the sequel, the second film. And then The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was released and met with lukewarm response critically and financially, underperforming with a worldwide gross of $708 million, according to Box Office Mojo, which is, you know, not great for a sequel in a massive superhero film, especially from Sony. And, you know, it put the future of the franchise in doubt. And then remember in 2014 in November... After the sequel came out, Sony Pictures Entertainment was hacked by a group calling itself the Guardians of Peace. And so this was a huge hacking situation where Sony, the emails of like in their details of the entire franchise and plans of the Spider-Man universe were leaked and everything. And the email hack revealed plans for the Spider-Man in the MCU, but without Andrew Garfield. So that even put a tamper on like, is there going to be an Amazing Spider-Man 3 now that Sony doesn't even want Garfield to be going forward, Peter Parker in the franchise. And then Kevin Feige, we found out, was instrumental in convincing Sony to reboot Spider-Man in the MCU. So in the book, The Story of Marvel Studios, the making of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, dealing with the construction of the MCU, never before details were heard regarding Spider-Man's arrival into the MCU being laid out, including Feige's role in developing a reboot rather than an Amazing Spider-Man sequel to the second film. And then in August 2017, years after Amazing Spider-Man 3 and 4 were canceled, uh, Webb, the director of the first two films, told Den of Geek that the third movie in his franchise would have seen the Web Slinger face off with the Sinister Six, led by none other than the reanimated frozen head of Norman Osborn, who would be the uh, King Goblin, I think that's what it's called. And it would, there would be an epic battle that would, would probably looked a lot like Spider-Man No Way Home Okay, at the end of that movie. I also read that... The studio had a lot of friction between themselves and Garfield. Like Garfield didn't want to go to Sony events and stuff and didn't wasn't very good at communicating with them and was outspoken against what they were doing with the with the overall trajectory. And also he was trying to get them involved with the MCU for a while. And I think that's what really caused tension between the studio and Garfield. And the I can't remember who the the head of Sony Studios was at the time, but like before they didn't, Pascal. They didn't get yeah. a they didn't get along, but that's still all speculation in room. We don't mm-hmm. fully know what happened, but yeah. I think that's just what people believe. 
And I mean, it's it's crazy to think that you don't want to keep Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man because it's not his fault that the second movie wasn't good. Yeah, and the the thing is, you know, they perfectly set up the Amazing Spider-Man to the ending to set up all of the villains going forward because obviously it ends with you know that underground situation at Oscorp, all their sequel, their special projects that they're working on. Their sequel projects. <laughs> their sequels. <laughs> Legit. They call special projects the sequels, and you can obviously see the technology for Vulture. You can see Doc Ock. His tentacles floating around, and then we get the rhino was the first test that uh, Paul Giamatti's character, the Russian mobster, gets the first test and crack at as a new villain in the rhino as Rhino at the end of the Amazing Spider-Man Two. I gotta be honest, I did not like that. I didn't like how Oscorp would and was gonna be creating all of these villains themselves rather than the each character going through their own journey of developing their own super villainous powers and creations. So I didn't like that approach, and also. I think that was ultimately the biggest weakness of the Amazing franchise is they were always gearing towards this trilogy rather than just making solo films that were just great on their own. Uh, they were always just like thinking ahead rather than thinking in the present. And I think that was the ultimately the biggest weakness of the franchise, especially Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they were so focused on the Sinister Six and... You know, I it's it's cool seeing the teases and of Oscorp in the first one, but not seeing Norman and, and all this stuff. But I think that if they had just approached as let's let's just make uh, the best movie we can one at a time, it would have worked better. Yeah, because this Oscorp, they spend like the first two movies like constantly covering things up and being a shady company, and like oh we we can't let anyone see what happened with Electro and everything and Max. And then their like plan at the end of the second film is like we're gonna make a bunch of super villains. Yeah, it's like, like what? Are you trying to be covert or what? Like, like what are makes, they gonna do with the super villains? What's, what's the, are you gonna take over the planet? Is yeah. that your is that your goal to just take over the world? And you're being secretive about it now. The motivation I just never understood because I think it works better where you know Oscorp's obviously involved with the creation of the villains in the first film, and I mean the first trilogy. You know even. Even Otto, he's funded by Oscorp, so yeah. Oscorp's connected through that somehow. Goblins, both of them are obviously connected to Oscorp. But it's not like an evil twisting my mustache. It's like Harry just invested in Otto is all it was. So like the entire Oscorp yeah. corporation, like they're just planning on making a bunch of supervillains, which doesn't make a yeah. ton of sense. Whereas in, in the first one, Oscorp's trying to make money off of Otto's research yeah, is what then, it was. In Amazing Spider-Man, Curtis Connors... He's trying to get his ge genetics research to work where he can actually save people's lives. And obviously one of his main motivations, which is why he's a great villain, is he's trying to regrow his own arm. And so let he has two motivations where he wants to help people but also get back to what he was before his, his injury. Yeah, and I think that with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, they just really misstepped with the Osborne characters, both Harry and Norman, because... I I like the I, first I like the approach of like this disease that's turning them into like a goblin with goblin like features, but like Norman Osborn just being the sick guy in a bed after seeing what Willem Dafoe did with the character was just so underwhelming. And then but while that was happening, I was like, okay, maybe so they're setting up Harry to be like the great villain, not Norman. So I was like, okay, but then Harry ended up just being like very underwhelming as a villain, and I I like Dan Dehan is a good actor, but I just don't think that he did a he had a right approach to this character. The goblin in this movie was just like weird, not scary, kind of like a silly performance. By the time it's the third act, and I just didn't I also like I didn't understand why if Norman like didn't like his son at all and had nothing didn't teach him anything and just shipped him off to boarding school and had like no involvement in his life. Why did he give him the company completely? Like that doesn't happen with corporations. It's like it's not like it's like a familial transfer of powers the way it goes. It's like there's CEOs transfer all the time. Like just looking at Sony, um, there have been plenty of CEOs of Sony 
themselves and it's not well, you like, can assume this is an older corporation that hasn't like sold out to a, a purchase yet they have a big board though yeah so it seems like it's a publicly run co- a public company but it sounds like they it's maybe like a bruce wayne situation where he has most of the share most 51 percent of the shares i guess but i just if they didn't explain that and also like if he's has if he's letting his son take over the company why didn't he prepare him at all is what I'm saying. No, yeah, I agree with Cause that. Because Dan goes into that first meeting and it's like, nobody knows this kid. He's like, he's like, you just think I'm this kid. It's like, why was he never in a meeting before this? And if he was a major shareholder before this, he should he would have been in boardroom meetings because he would be the second highest shareholder. And he's probably, he's got to be 18 at that point. So he says he's 20. So it doesn't make sense that he's like had no involvement in the company, which he should have a major stake in. Someone's been watching a lot of Succession. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much Succession. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harry, you know, I think they could have done a great job with the character. You know, it's his motivation is obviously trying to save his life. And, you know, it seems like his father from the disease um, lasted a, a, quite a while. He lasted like he's probably in his 50s. It's got to be. Later. He looks like 60s. But Harry's acting like he's going to die like in a week. And like his, the yeah. movie's making it seem like he's dying like on his death On the verge soon. of death. Because yeah. is it, it's, then there's no reason. Like they never explain like is it expedited or anything like that. But it seems like Harry has plenty of time to like figure something out. But he's like trying to figure it out in like a week. It's, and the movie makes it seem like he's about to die. Yeah. Which I don't. I didn't fully and get. He, and he's so desperate to get Spider-Man's blood and stuff. And it's like. Bro, you got like at least fifty years. Like, chill out. Like, you can figure this out. You have all the money, and you have the the company that can handle this. Like, I'm sure you could find something. I and it was confusing. Like, even watching it again, I I asked you. I was like, wait, did it get expedited somehow? His disease, and you're like, no, not at all. I was like, oh, because now he's getting like green stuff on his skin, and it's like where his father didn't have that. In, like the video, the old videos of Oscorp exactly with him, with, with him yeah. and Richard Parker. He doesn't have like the green stuff. Maybe he had makeup on and stuff like that. But he was even older than Harry was at the time. He didn't have the the full side effects yet. So I think the story needed a moment where Harry maybe tried something. Um, super invasive, some kind of cure that would have expedited it. Which he did in the third act. Yeah, which I think would, but if he did that in the halfway through the movie, we would have understand his motivations of being so desperate. Yeah. Because I mean, if knowing that you're going to live to like 65, like that's not like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like maybe if we learned it was a more advanced case of, yeah. of the disease, because again, like because Chris Cooper, his father, Norman's like on his deathbed. And I like how in the first film, that's all connected to Curtis Connors yeah. and his research where Norman Osborn's funding this guy just so that he can try to save his life and save him from dying. And that's the whole point of the genetics research and the cross-species genetics. And it obviously doesn't work out. And then, you know, Curtis Connors is under the amount of pressure where, like, I have to do this to save Norman Osborn's life. And then his funding gets cut when he doesn't get results. Yeah. And I, I was behind the approach, but then why not just go full goblin with Harry? Like they they stopped the transition to like if he could, like it would have been great because they teased it with Norman with the hand like that with the long nails and like the lizard like hand and the goblinesque features and like why not just let Harry become full on goblin like appearance and like look like a monster I think that would have been the right approach especially if you tease it with Norman <clears throat> maybe Harry does something that advances it and makes it happen like immediately and then you could have had like goblin look like he looks like in the animated series in the comic books where he's like a monster you know what yeah I mean? and then at the end of the film like like when everything's been solved and everything and harry's in prison 
he doesn't really have the effects. He's like, oh, it comes and goes. It's like, like then why were you in such a rush? Yeah, exactly. Like, why'd you kill Gwen over this? Like, just, like why do we even do it then? It, like, you could chill out, Harry. Yeah. Like, smoke a J, relax. <laughs> You're 20, dude. You got the go go to the go to Cabo. Like, go, go to, yeah, go chill. You got all the money in the world, man. Turks and Caicos or whatever that and place then is I called. Just, I, <laughs> Turks and Caicos. <laughs> Someone's gonna uh, correct me. <laughs> I just don't. I didn't. I think the the overall design of the final character was so just like weird looking, not scary. The, like the crazy thin hair and the teeth, it was just like, it wasn't good. I I just was not a fan of of the Goblin in this. Because Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man Two makes Electro stand out big time. Exactly. Because, and then the, especially when he takes the Venom and he doesn't understand that when he doesn't know that it's Pete, it's uh, Richard Parker's DNA which will allow someone to live. So only yeah. Peter can take the Venom and survive and get the powers and everything. Yeah. Um, which was super clever by Richard to do that to use his own DNA when doing the research. Yeah. And then he his disease is expedited. Then he's dying, so he got he goes inside the suit, but he doesn't know what the suit is. And he's never been here before. He's never been there before. <laughs> he, he know, and like he gets into it, he's like, "No, now I'm like super strong and everything." And it's it's a healing suit. And how does the suit heal him exactly? And he just knows how to use. Yeah. He like instantly knows how to use the glider. It seems like that needs a lot of practice to use that glider. It's pretty yeah. complicated machinery. Yeah, and I, it's I was a little just, aircraft. Yeah, I was just like, "How does the suit even work?" It just it just says on his wrist healing, and it's like, "Okay." I would have made. They should have made Harry Goblin sooner in the film. Yeah, rather than just the third act. Maybe that would have been. A a little more entertaining like and they could have had like a good horror scene if he's like full-on like goblin monster like chasing like m like emma stone around and something scary because the visual effects in this movie are and these movies are probably one of the biggest strengths for sure because yeah. I, I love they look great in spider-man the, the original trilogy but still they, they were doing stuff in this that they couldn't do back then and oh, i yeah. think that's one of the greatest strengths of the film especially in amazing spider-man 2 the visual effects are astounding in the filmmaking in terms of like the super slow-mo stuff i love that all yeah the cgi looks really fantastic and that in that final bell tower scene like after he def after they defeat electro Gwen and, and Peter, like, fighting Harry was just, like, and kind of, uh, just, like, I didn't really care. It was very fast. Yeah, and it happened, yeah, having, like, 30 seconds, and I was, There like, was some good parts, like, I like when he kidnaps her, and he's, like, chasing him in the sky, and he can't yeah. web-sling him, yeah. but, but it, was, it was a little underwhelming, I think, in, in the end. And it was pretty predictable what would happen. And then Harry just, like, gets hit, and then we never see him again. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. But something that I, I have an issue with Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, so, Spider-Man and Electro's first fight scene is awesome in Times Square yeah. when, uh, you know... Uh, Max wakes up in like that cocoon-like state. His like yeah, really charred cool. body yeah. that he wakes up inside of, and the more like invasion of the body snatchers kind of. And then he goes to Times Square to find all the energy. Like I think the character is actually a, a lot better than most people remember. And then he he can't control his powers. He doesn't know what's happening. And, and Spider Man's the only like the cops are all trying to like take him out. And Spider Man comes and he's like, hey, I'm trying to talk him out of it. And then they have their big battle, and Spider Man defeats him with the water. And then what happens to Max? Like, yeah. what happens? He just and then he shows up in Oscorp's special project section. It's like, for, like, where did Oscorp come from? Like, he was surrounded by police officers. Wouldn't they have taken him into custody? And then how did Oscorp get, even get involved? Get involved or get custody of of Max from the police if yeah. they were trying to keep him a secret and didn't want anyone to find out what happened to Max in general? It's everywhere. It's all over the internet. So like when yeah. you when you watch the movie you're like wait how did he get to oscorp how did he, he get from shows a to b he just shows up in that tank which is horrible you know he's like a, a guinea pig at the time and it's just like i never understood like how did that happen exactly and, and then spider-man just leaves Times square it's like you want to make sure that he doesn't get power again like yeah because it's not like he's dead he's still alive like he's just what, on the ground what if he dries off and gets some more electricity inside they, yeah they didn't explain like how does like obviously he gets electrical charges when he gets near it but like how is he not near any electricity from that transfer yeah and also you know him getting his powers in that tank of the electrical eels, right? Mm -hmm. The eels live in water, 
and then he gets their powers. How? Why, why is water, water a weakness to him? You know that kind of also doesn't make sense. And also, water electricity spreads through water. So yeah, I, but if you have too much water, it drowns the electricity out. I guess so. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But I do like I like electro. Yeah. And I like how like you said earlier how. Uh, Peter has to redevelop his web slingers to be magnetized, which Gwen helps him out with. And uh, he's trying to figure out how to do it. He's like, he thinks like if I overcharge the battery, it'll be the, the best thing to do. But Gwen gives him the idea to magnetize him, which was she says is eighth grade science. And I'm like, I didn't learn that in eighth grade science. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel like an idiot. <laughs> and also, I really like when Peter's using Google all the time. Like the first time he gets bit by the spider, he's like, what would you do? You'd be looking up WebMD, like yeah. spider bite. What's it look like? Does it yeah. look like that? He's looking up like information about his father. He's looking up information about how to stop, uh, uh, how to try to stop electricity and try to stop electro. So I like that aspect of it. It's the same thing with Tom Hall and like using his phone to like record selfies and stuff. Yeah, I, th I thought it was great. And like the FaceTime with Aunt May and Tony Stark. So I, I like the approach to, to um, technology as well. Super funny. Now, before we continue, I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. MoviePosters.com is the best place to get your posters. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, all of your poster needs, they can handle it, as well as pretty much every film and TV show imaginable they have in their arsenal. This is high-quality stuff, everyone. If you need your posters, you got to deck out your place with a ton of movie stuff. Go to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. And I really like in the first Amazing Spider-Man, you know, the relationship between Peter and Curtis Connors. After Peter finds Curtis Connors, tells him he's Richard Parker, after he sneaks into Oscorp, which is super yeah. funny. Um, and then, you know, they, they start to develop a relationship. Peter gives him the, the full algorithm to help solve the DK, the DK algorithm, right? Is that what it's called? Um, the decay, decay the, 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 the decay algorithm, the decay algorithm, the decay rate algorithm. Decay rate. So he gives him that to help him fulfill, to finish his equation, which obviously works in a way, yeah. not the way he thinks it will work. Like it, the first time it works and he, he gets his arm back, you think it's like, oh my God, this is really miraculous when you're watching it. And then he, it goes sideways. I love how happy he is with the new arm, but it looks disgusting. Well, it's like, <laughs> what would an arm look like if it was like newborn? Like, I, I think they wanted to make it look like maybe like a fetus. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Like inside the womb. Like maybe that's what it looks like like mm -hmm. in early development stages of yeah. like second trimester. <laughs> yeah. That's what I it does look a little creepy. This is the motherhood podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of two guys have no that are not mothers. <laughs> but I like their relationship and I like Peter, you know, on the tail of Lizard and on the tail of Curtis Connors, like the 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 conversation where he's like, How much would the foreign species take over? What would the side effects be? Because Peter's also trying to learn what happened to him at the same time trying to stop this giant lizard that's terrorizing the city. Yeah. And I love the I love the fight on the bridge. I because Peter has to save that kid. And I think that's the first instance where Peter deals with life and death for such an innocent person when he saves that kid because after the bridge scene, you can tell he's like emotionally disturbed when he's in his room just like thinking over the events like he like he almost let a kid die. Yeah. So the stakes are really high when you're Spider-Man of saving these people. Yeah, because when he's first Spider-Man and he's he's sort of like a vigilante, you could say, and he's fighting crime. He's not exactly like fully fighting crime. He's trying to find Ben's killer. So he's got like a vendetta against this guy with long blonde hair and sunglasses and the star tattoo on his wrist. So he's not really helping people. He's just trying to find somebody while at the same time stopping a couple criminals. But still, he's not really Spider-Man yet. And then that's the first time where he, I think you could say he saves a, a purely innocent life just 
just out of wanting to save somebody. Definitely. Rather 100%. than trying to get revenge, which yeah. which is his first character flaw as Spider-Man. Yeah, and I really like the lizard fights. The the fight in the sewers is great, even though it's a little short, but then the school fight's really fun. Yeah. I think it was a great shot. But also it's like, did a no one question like made her Peter Peter Parker goes to school here after that fight? <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Why would the lizard be there? <laughs> There's webs everywhere. Peter Parker must go to school here. I mean, Spider-Man must be at school here. But I think they did the school sequences really well. I like Flash. He's done really well in this movie because everyone still, even though Flash is a bully, you know, when Ben dies, he still acts like a a friend in a way. You know, they start to develop a relationship. He doesn't look 35. Yeah, he he looks like he's 22. (laughs) Legit. (laughs) Instead of 35. But, you know, the, the loss of Ben takes a huge toll on Peter. And we really see that in this film, specifically the first one, which you saw in... And Toby's Spider-Man's, but not, not to it this extent. It was, it was just for a sequence. Yeah, in yeah. terms of him like being at school and everybody's looking at him, which, you know, I'm sure we've all been to school. Maybe someone in our class uh, had a family member or a father or mother die, and you, you see how tough it is for them, and you're kind of all just like thinking about them and looking at them without them wanting to know because you're just, you know, it's, it's a horrible situation. And so him walking through the halls, and then even though he had just asked um, he just asked Gwen out, he's avoiding Gwen. He's avoiding everything in his life just until he finds revenge. Yeah, and then they have Branzino. <laughs> Branzino. Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love it, it was sir? It was funny seeing Dennis Leary in this movie because we, we love Leary. We used to watch Rescue Me. And then he he was coming off rescue me with this with this movie. I don't fully love him. I've heard a lot about him in joke stealing, so I'm not. sure. Oh really? Yeah, I'm sure. I've heard he's stolen a lot of jokes in no stand up, like his old school stand ups. Oh screw that. So I I, I don't know. Screw him. I, but but he's good in the role as the captain. But the second one, when you I think when you have characters seeing ghosts in a movie, it's like a big no no unless it's a scary haunted house movie or whatever, like a horror movie. But when you have like when you're trying to make a fun realistic movie and you have characters seeing like the ghost of of the Captain Stacy, I'm like that really takes me out of this movie because he sees Dennis Leary like four times, and it's like I understand it's a metaphor for like him whenever he's with Gwen, he sees uh, Stacy's ghost, but I'm just like he's not like losing his mind. <laughs> it yeah. Doesn't nobody people don't see ghosts. You know what I mean? You've never seen a ghost. No, I've never seen a ghost. Someone listening has seen a ghost for sure. <laughs> yeah, they're they're so like, s- they're leaving a one-star view. <laughs> I see ghosts all the time in my padded room. <laughs> and for me, that really takes you out of the experience of the movie. Whenever whenever I see Dennis Leary in, in Spider-Man 2, I'm like, ah, oh, come on, here we go again. Yeah, so I get that, it. I think that is definitely a huge weakness of the the second film. But it's a good it's a good character, I think, to have, you know, Gwen's, Gwen's connected both to, obviously, her father, but then to Spider-Man, and, you know, she... She's hesitant to be in the relationship with Peter because she talks about how her father's a cop, you know, or Peter and Peter's Spider-Man. She doesn't want anything to happen to Peter. Like she always thinks is worried that something's gonna happen to her father. You know, she says that he straps on the badge and the gun to his belt, and I'm always worried that he's not gonna come home someday. And she's worried about the same thing happening to Peter Parker. So she's got both the the most important man in her life she's always worried about. Although in the second film, she wants to be with him. I think that the second film, the their relationship it, it's still solid the romance but they break up like three times and it gets a little repetitive well i mean i think that happens a lot that's that's pretty common in relationships where you go through multiple breakups then you like have that phase where you're like oh we'll just be friends and then you hang out and you're like oh man we should still see each other again i've you start... never done that <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you still you're gonna lose your virginity at some point <laughs> 40 year old virgin you're, over you're, here you're, dude you're not even 32 you got plenty of time you'll have a breakup and you'll have like a, the friends phase where then you go back and I'll together be spider-man yeah and then you'll be Spider-Man. It'll be great. <laughs> you never, you never been Spider-Man before? No, never. Man. Oh man, it's too bad. But I would, I just say, I feel like they just, it was just a little too. It happened too many times, like the same conversation. 
Yeah, so the second film. Yeah, I, I get that, but I mean, you've never had that. I, I feel I thought it was relatable, honestly. No, it's relatable, but I think it just happened too much because they I they did it in the at the end of the first one, then they did it after graduation. And then they like did it again. Well, they did it in a strong way where then Gwen's like, I break up with you. Yeah. I'm taking control. I'm not going to let you oh, yeah, break yeah. up with me. Yeah. So I think that was actually a strong part of it. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. But I just think it, they didn't have to keep do, do it so many times. True. So, yeah. But I think the third act in the first film is really great, too, especially, you know, when the captain, they're, they're all chasing lizard to Oscorp. And now everyone's like, oh, there actually is a giant lizard. And then they're also tracking Spider-Man and the cops take him out. And then um, Gwen's father sees, finds out his identity and lets him go away to stop Lizard. And then, you know, he gets the bullet wound on his leg and he can't fully run. Everyone's like, oh, Peter needs help. Like, Spider-Man needs help. <laughs> and then I love how the rigs, the guys on the rigs with the cranes all turn them to help Spider-Man out to get to Oscorp. It's really great. Yeah. The music it's, is the awesome. awesome. It's really yeah. uplifting. Yeah. It's very like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's and do it. It's a solid third act, too. You know, Gwen's father dies sacrificing his life to help save the city and help Spider-Man. And, you know, that promise that Spider-Man makes to... Gwen's father is really emotional because then he breaks up with her at the end. He's not at the funeral. Well, she doesn't see him at the funeral, even though he's on the building. And she's like, everyone came except for you. You didn't come here. So it's, it's actually a really powerful ending. And I will say that the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they have some of the best web slinging. Oh, absolutely. I think they have the best I, web slinging. I, like the POV shots, um, like when he flies through the air and then he lands on the 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 side of the top of the skyscraper and it's just his reflection and also he like put the camera like it's like on his waist looking up and then you're like you're like underneath spider-man as he's swinging i love all these pov great like it's like no one's strapping the camera to a car or, yeah. or or a plane it's super cool i think no way home definitely like took notes from that and they have like the kind of like the the the, the scorsese PO strap yeah the, yeah the strap on cam of yeah. zendaya and tom swinging together but yeah, yeah amazing spider-man like the minute details like the opening of the amazing spider-man 2 where the logo fades into the logo on his back of his costume and yeah. he's just falling from like a thousand feet up in the air and the wrinkling from from the wind and everything on his suit and his yeah. costume the, the tiny those details are details like they couldn't do with the, the original yeah and i really like the close-ups of like the web sling shooters we got a lot of that like all the time we yeah. see that so i think that yeah the web swinging is really fantastic it's like sort of it looks sort of like a spider flying around at the same time as a human being and i love the i love the final shot of the first film the slow-mo with the moon behind him and he's in that cool pose in the air and then the the web shooters just shooting slow-mo towards the screen yeah and and i like that when he's trying to save gwen in the web kind of looks like a hand reaching out for her yeah it's that really, was really cute it's really, this is really, it's really cute. touching he's like i'm trying to grab you but i think it definitely has it could have the best web slinging of all the movies i think it does i think you're you're absolutely right thanks man yeah overall i love the amazing spider-man the Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's pretty good. I think the script could have been a lot better. I wish maybe Steve Cloves could have trimmed it up. Maybe that's why they're like, no, we don't want you, Steve. You, you make things make sense. <laughs> Let's get some. You think we want continuity? We just want a yes man here. <laughs> JK, JK. It's still a pretty good. It's still better than the last time I watched it that I thought of it because I hadn't seen it in a few Electro years. Electro is better than I remember. I think Electro is actually the best part of the movie. Um, you know, Gwen's death, questionable. But I think overall, the first one's really, really great. I I probably would put it top five maybe in my mm -hmm. Spider-Man list. But, you know, the second one's not terrible. Yeah. And I wish uh, maybe we'll get a third one now. I doubt it. I mean, I feel like maybe Garfield might be a little too old, but maybe they'll, they'll play with that. Who knows? Yeah, I think maybe it could have been a curtain call in No Way Home for him. I think it was a curtain call for him and Toby. I'm not, I'm not sure they're going to do it again. I don't think they would want to. I know it would make a billion dollars, though. Oh, yeah. So who knows? But, I mean, I mean, if it's not good, people will be disappointed. True, but I mean, they like money. They gotta get more. <laughs> they they like, get Marvel involved if they're gonna do it. Honestly, I guess they could, but it's just 
I would I would check it out for sure. I would like mm-hmm. to see it, but I just don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want them to like, oh, they're working on an idea on a script. I'm sure they're they're thinking about it. Yeah. We'll see what happens in the future. Why not? Especially with the multiverse happening everywhere, not just in superhero in the MCU, but like yeah. in DC and A24 movies. So like multiverse is just a huge thematic <laughs> yeah, element that, that in motif and stories today yeah. in, in movies. So I, I could see it happening. I'll definitely check it out. I'd be excited to see it, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think Andrew Garfield was just, he's just a really terrific Peter Parker, and I, I adore his performance, and I think he did a really fantastic job. Yeah, with what he was working with. Yeah. They did him dirty in the second one, but you know what? Yeah. He's he's really, really yeah. great. And Emma Stone's awesome. And, you know, these movies, they're not bad. The first one's really good. The second one's okay. But, I, I mean, there's still a lot. There's still great elements to both of them. Also, one little another thing that bugs me about Amazing Spider-Man 2, Ooh, real quick. You. So, like, Gwen's getting into Oxford. It's a really big deal. Yeah. And she's going to move to London. And she, like, nails the interview. Then that same day, she's, like, art. Like, an hour later, she's, like, getting on a flight to London yeah. or to England. It's like, yeah. I get you want to go to the early class. But, like, did you even pack? Can you wait, <laughs> can you wait a day? Like, wait a day. Did you even, like, pack anything? It's like, relax. Did you, like, go from the interview to the, to the airport? I'm sure you can miss the first day of the early class. Like, it's you're still in high school. Like, That's you just like, graduated, yeah. like, yesterday. It's like they're setting up emotional stakes that don't make it's sense. It's just they're putting Elmer's glue on, yeah. these halt, on these plot holes, which, you know, you, after a few of them are fine in movies, and especially yeah. big blockbuster movies, but when there's, like, a dozen in one yeah. movie, it's just kind of like, come on, guys. The first one was so good. <laughs> and I think the last thing I want to talk about before we like head into trivia and stuff, I think is post Gwen's death, you know, Spider-Man disappears for several months. I think we finally see like it happened with Uncle Ben. We see loss, but like real devastating loss. We've never seen on a Spider-Man before, like with Peter Parker not wanting to be Spider-Man for so long because of Gwen's death. And, you know, he finally comes back later on. But I think it's really t- well done. You know, it shows grief in, a, I think, the best way in maybe all the Spider-Man movies. You know, I love the changing of seasons. Him at the cemetery constantly probably goes to see her every single day. And it's really tough to watch because we've all, I'm sure, lost loved ones. And I think to watch it, Peter Parker go through it in such an emotional way, is, it's, re- it's really powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think they did a good job with that. That being said, let's move on to some trivia. While filming The Amazing Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield during his breaks would go around New York City playing basketball with the local kids while wearing his Spider-Man outfit. In The Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man uses artificial devices to shoot webs inspired from the original comics where he possessed similar devices for his webbing. Mark Webb, the director, explained the web shooters were a creative decision to showcase Peter's intellect. We wanted to emphasize that these are things that Peter Parker made and that he is special himself, even if he feels like he's an outsider. To prepare for his role as Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield studied the movements of spiders and tried to incorporate them as much as he could in his performance, saying that Peter Parker is a boy spider in terms of how he moves, and it's not just in the suit, but in everyday life. Before filming The Amazing Spider-Man, Reese Fonz researched his role by meeting several real handicapped people who have missing limbs. He also spent one month performing his daily activities using only his left hand, including tying a tie. The script had a small snippet written where Connors ties a tie, but it was not filmed as it was too time-consuming. In The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Felicity Jones' role was significantly cut down due to time constraints. In an interview, Jones stated that she would be an ally to Harry Osborn Green Goblin, and at one point even let it slip that she was playing the Goblin's girlfriend. Though a small scene showing her alliance to Harry was in the final cut, scenes that implied that there were romantic feelings between the two characters were cut from the film. All right, that wraps this episode on The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are around the world. We hope you enjoyed listening to this, and you love... 
Andrew Garfield as much as we do as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take care. This is the last episode of 2021, so we'll see you in 2022, everybody. Bye, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.